it's time to expand online. Hi, I'm Jamie Sletsky, and this is the podcast where we break down the tech and strategies that successful hands-on entrepreneurs just like you use to translate their services into online products. There is no fluff. There is no overwhelm. There is no shame. Let's get to it. It's time for you to expand online. Welcome to the Expand Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Slutsky, and this is episode 107. Before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that I've changed my Instagram handle to Jamie Slutsky, J-A-I-M-E-S-L-U-T-Z-K-Y. And if you haven't looked at my feed or story lately, you've missed some great gymnastics pictures. My younger daughter has had a lot of competitions lately, and she has a few more coming up. My husband and I, we support her gymnastics goals and dreams. We would do anything for her to get the most out of being a young athlete. That feeling that we have for our daughters is a familial feeling, not a teacher-student one. But supporting your students as their online course instructor is part of why you're creating an online course, right? So in today's episode, we're getting into how that support manifests itself and how you can create the best experience for your students. In my opinion, it's just not enough to provide content access. We must also provide other classroom experiences, even for our virtual classrooms. A formal classroom or studio space comes with expectations. Our students know what is expected of them when they arrive and how they should act during class and the processes for when they leave. We need to create that same level of expectation online. It's really something that separates your course from what I would call lesser courses that are online. We will accomplish this with a multi-pronged approach. And the first approach that I am going to discuss is your Facebook group. I bet you thought I was going to jump into email marketing or into the intro unit inside your course material, didn't you? But the warmth and clear guidelines for your Facebook group or whatever other online discussion forum you decide to use is both easier to understand and relate back to the physical classroom or studio because some of us run classrooms and some of us run studios and it's also easier to implement. When someone signs up for our classes, whether it's online or offline, holding the door open for them and welcoming them inside is an important gesture. It validates their purchase. In the online space, this means that it needs to be super easy for them to get access and interact in your Facebook group. The privacy settings of a Facebook group is really what I'm talking about here. If you look in the show notes, you'll see an image of what I'm describing here. Your group privacy should be set to private, which means that the posts are only visible to members of the group. The hide group setting should be set to visible so that your students can request access to the group. If this setting is instead set to hidden, then it's not going to be easy for people to be granted access to the group. In fact, you're going to have to personally friend every single person and manually add them into the group, which is not holding the door wide open for them. But we don't want to hold the door wide open to everybody who is on the internet. So we do want to have member approval requirements. Facebook gives you the ability to upload a file of users to automatically approve through their email addresses. 
And they also give us the ability to ask membership questions to make it easy for people to say, yes, I'm supposed to be part of this group. I love, love, love the file upload, but it does not work 100% of the time because one, it's a manual process. And two, sometimes people use different email addresses for their courses than they do for their Facebook profile. And therefore, they're not going to be given automatic access, even though it's the same person. I also love the membership questions because they are a super easy way to quickly validate a purchase. The questions can be checkboxes or radio buttons or written answers. I usually just give a keyword in the welcome email and then my students can select that from a set of options via the radio buttons. That's not 100% either, but it's super easy. You can just scroll down and say, oh, they picked the right option from these radio buttons and Yes, I recognize that name. It came through on a purchase recently. So it's easier to do that because then if someone picked the wrong one, you can then decide, okay, what's going on with this person? Should I reach out to them? Say, hey, you haven't bought or maybe you have to do additional looking and maybe they just clicked the wrong button. But it's a nice gate and people feel comfortable knowing that it's just a small little gate that they have to go through. In the preamble to the first question, I put something to the effect of Facebook group membership approval is performed periodically throughout the day and guaranteed to be done by 8 p.m. Pacific each evening or whatever cadence feels right to you. It has worked out best all around for my clients and it's also what I personally do. So at 8 p.m. I upload the email addresses of everyone who has purchased, which will automatically approve anybody who is pending. And then I'll go through the rest of the pending requests to figure out if these are people who should be getting into the group or not. And with that, I think we're going to leave this topic right here. If you would like support for this part of your course, let's book a strategy session. You can do that at techofbusiness.com forward slash strategy, and we can get everything set up, including the process for creating that CSV for automatic approvals. Next up, let's chat about the rules of your Facebook group. This includes posting rules, group expectations, and repercussions for violations. It sucks to have to include repercussions since we're all adults, but it needs to be said. Nobody wants to continuously police or monitor their students' activities, but we also definitely do not want to see students being disrespected or made to feel uncomfortable by other students in our community. So that's what the rules are for. We're going to want to include things like how the group posts are structured, what types of posts students can do, whether they're text only or images or videos or combinations. Can students go live in the group? Is self-promotion allowed? Are there daily or weekly group comment threads? Whether or not we're going to tolerate vulgar language. Um, how about off-topic threads? Can we talk about what you're having for dinner on Saturday night or do we want to keep that out of this group? Private messaging rules. Are we telling our students that they cannot private message one another without permission? Or is there no rule to that effect? How to report abuse or violations. And most importantly, how to ask for feedback from instructors, moderators, and or their peers. Rules are not designed to be don't, don't, don't. And I think the best method for creating group rules is to have two or three do's or positive rules for every don't or negative one. 
Another thing I always include is the support contact form link. I prefer to use a contact form over a straight email address, which you can use if you really want. But I like to use the contact form because you can provide structure to the support message. And if you have multiple people who take care of support on your team, it's super helpful to either have a group inbox where all of these contact forms are submitted to or use magic system routing to send the messages to the appropriate person based on the nature of the message or the topic that it is covering. And this is also a perfect way to help yourself not get inundated with Facebook messages for course support. Nobody's got time for that. Let's put structure in place. We want our Facebook group to be active and vibrant. Structure helps with that. Another thing that really helps is that if you see a question getting asked multiple times, throw it into an FAQ that is accessible both inside your Facebook group and in the course content platform. Your FAQ is going to be a living document and you're going to want to make sure that everybody knows where it lives and how to access it. Let's be honest. I know that it's much easier to create an active and vibrant atmosphere in a course-focused Facebook group when everyone starts at the same time. Your group might sustain its vibrancy on its own, but more likely the activity level will start to dwindle as the course progresses because of student distraction or priority shifts. So as the course creator and group facilitator, it is crucial that we remain seen and visible inside our group. I recommend being visible in several of the following ways. Going live on a schedule, going live spontaneously, posting Ask Me Anything threads, post kudos threads, post feedback threads, like and comment on every post from your students, that one's absolutely required, and invite your students to be accountable to one another through accountability partner matching or accountability threads. This Facebook group is going to help you be well on your way to helping your students feel personally and collectively supported. Now, let's move on to emails. <laughs> there is actually only one email that needs to be sent to our students. But I recommend, depending on the exact style and structure of your course, two to four emails per module or chapter or week or whatever other logical breakpoint you might have in your course. The one required email includes your content access. So for most of my clients, that's going to be Thinkific or Member Vault, as well as expectations, best practices, Facebook group information, and how to get more support. Yes, we really are going to use our welcome email as an upsell into a mentorship, cohort, one-on-one, -on -one, or other method of helping our students succeed. I'm going to be talking more about pricing and course value next week. So just like before, this is mostly just a high-level conversation to put a thought in your mind. But for your unique situation, I would love to help craft a unique strategy that makes sense for you, your business, your lifestyle, and that of your students. A strategy call is the best way to do that. And I've got it linked up in the show notes. Or you can go to techofbusiness.com forward slash strategy. Other than using the welcome email for selling, we really want to help our new students start the program that they have just paid for. And to do this, 
our welcome email needs to come out right after payment is received. And this is where we're going to make sure that we have ActiveCampaign or ConvertKit integrated with our payment system. That way, our payment system can trigger the welcome to the course sequence of emails. And don't worry, I set this up for my clients all the time and I would be honored to set it up for you. Seriously, I love being the techie behind your online product successes, which is actually one of the reasons why I started this podcast nearly two years ago, so that I could showcase all the ways that you can and others have had success online and then help you get there. Now, for the two to four emails per week or chapter or module, what do I want you to include in those? The more times we can create the feeling of a one-on-one conversation with our students, the more they will feel connected to us, which in turn helps them make progress on the course material and reach out when they need help. When there is a strong connection between the course delivery platform and the email marketing platform, we can have automated emails go out to our students. Automated emails can be triggered when modules and chapters and units are completed. Automated emails can also be set up to go out if a student hasn't made progress in a certain amount of time. Automated emails can go out every Sunday or every Thursday or whatever day you want. Automated emails can even go out a certain number of hours or days after a unit is completed. The reason why tying emails to course progress is so important is because we are reaching our students in a second location on their computers. They are not going to always be on our course website, but they are going to regularly check their emails. When they see our name, it's a trigger. It helps them say, oh, Jamie didn't forget about me, or oh, I really want to make time to do that. When you're just getting started on tying your course with email, I would recommend just setting up two email automations. The first for when someone has completed a chapter or module to introduce them to the next one. And the second for when someone hasn't made any progress on the course in somewhere between four and seven days, depending on your course structure. In these emails, we are inviting conversation. We want our student to reply back to the email or to post in our Facebook group, or to complete our contact form that we talked about earlier. We want our students to know that we're wanting them to find success through our course. There are three more ways that we can support our students that I'm going to talk about right now. I'm sure in a conversation with you, we will come up with other ones that are exactly right for you and your students. The three of them that I've got right now for you are inside our course, virtual online office hours, and public praise through social media, your weekly newsletter, posters in your studio, or otherwise. So inside our course, this can be done with quizzes, surveys, and assignments. We are supporting our students when they participate in these. They are essentially opening the door for a deeper conversation, and that's what we want. When it comes to assignments, we should always provide feedback, not just a pass-fail. And the same for quizzes. Yes, we can address the incorrect responses with positive feedback and invite conversation. We can also praise them for getting things right. 
The responses to survey questions are absolutely invaluable. We gain insight into how students perceive and use the information we have presented in our lessons, and then we can adapt and respond as necessary. Survey responses also help us to iterate our courses so that the next cohort or set of students has an even better experience than the current one. Virtual office hours are going to take place in a Zoom meeting room. You'll set up a date and time and communicate the link to your student. They can then submit their questions in advance or hop on and ask them live. The recording from office hours can then be uploaded into your course platform and into your Facebook group. This is actually at least two more emails to your students, one announcing the office hours and one letting them know where the replay exists. But you can certainly send more than just two emails about office hours. Once office hours sessions are complete, I also go the extra step of pulling out each question and answer into written and succinct form so that we can build a catalog of Q&A and also see what additional trainings or bonuses can be delivered. I really like having that catalog of Q&A questions when you get to doing three or four or five office hour sessions because you don't have to repeat answering the question. You can refer back to the Q&A document or the FAQs if you want to have this in the same place as the FAQs that we talked about in the Facebook part of this conversation. Wow. I threw out the word additional training and bonuses and I didn't realize that I hadn't even factored bonuses in to this podcast episode as a way to support our students. But that is huge, huge, huge. Surprising them with a personal note or personal outreach or alternative methods or other tangential or complimentary content is going to help them find success. I love bonuses. I cannot believe I didn't even mention those here. But I want to wrap up with the last one, public praise. Everyone likes to be acknowledged for their hard work. It's easy for an elementary school art teacher to hang their students' creations on the wall. But we can't do that with our students who are all over the country and around the world. Instead, we're going to use the virtual walls of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, our blogs, our newsletters, and whatever other fancy tools we have at our disposal. I recommend getting students permission before sharing their name and work or tagging them on social media. And I generally recommend getting this at the outset of the course because they'll be excited at that point to give you permission. And that way they can be truly surprised and delighted when it happens. Usually asking for this permission is going to take place in the second or third email that we send to our students after they purchase, not in the welcome email, because it's really a nice to have, not a must have. The success of your course lies in the success of your students. Supporting them, encouraging them, and rewarding them are going to have ongoing benefits for you, your business, your students, and their newfound skill. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Expand Online podcast. I would love to know your biggest takeaway and what you're going to do next for your online course. Send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Jamie Slutsky and let me know or tag me in your Instagram stories. And I'll be back next week where we're going to be talking about course pricing and the value of your course.